again, good to see you this morning. We are talking today as we continue our series in Philippians about uh, the subject of anxiety and worry. And we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4 today. And so if you've got your Bibles, I hope you do, I'd encourage you to go ahead and turn open to Philippians chapter 4. We have been in a series, To Live is Christ. And we have been looking at the life that God desires for us, the life that is available to us in Christ, what it looks like to grow up and to mature in him, to live as Christ and to live is Christ. And so we are continuing that study today in Philippians chapter 4. Uh, you know, a lot of us, uh, I, <laughs> I love that skit that we just watched because I feel like it's, it's funny, first of all, and I like laughing. Um, but second of all, it is relatable in ways that uh, in life, uh, sometimes it's true that we have things that give us anxiety. We have things that give us worry. Um, there are things in our life that trouble us and concern us. And God knows our hearts. God knows that about us. And God wants to address that uh, in our hearts and in our lives. And he, one of the primary passages that I take people to, uh, just so you know, uh, if you ever come to my office with a fear or with a worry, I probably won't give you those two words. <laughs> uh, but this passage is a passage that I would take you to. And I think that the Lord has given to us by his grace and his word to help us know what to do uh, with our worry and with our anxiety. So let me pray for us as we go into our time together. Actually, let's do this. Let me read the word uh, and then I'll pray and then we will um, start together today. Philippians chapter 4 starting in verse one. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Judea and I treat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and with the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Father, we are desperate today for your Holy Spirit who is alive and active, for your word which is alive and active. Lord, to speak to us, 
and to change our hearts. Lord, you say that in every crowd there are different types of people. There are different types of heart conditions. Lord, you compare them to soil, some who are hardened and will not receive the seed that you scatter. Some that receive it, but the world is just too important and it'll be cast away. Lord, some who receive it, but it's trampled out by the enemy. The Lord, others who receive it and it takes root. It goes deep and it bears fruit. Lord, I pray for every person here. Lord, that right now we would pray and desire, we would long to be the soil where your seed by your spirit and your word and your grace can go deep, can find root and can bear fruit for your glory, God, and for our good. Lord, we're desperate for your spirit to do this in us. We thank you for the work of Jesus that is perfect and complete on our behalf. Teach us today. Teach us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I absolutely love this passage that we're going to study today. I have gone to it again and again and again in my own life. I have memorized it. It has been a great source of help, a great source of encouragement, a great source of freedom and of joy in my own personal life. And I believe that it can be and will be for you too. Our core truth today is this. If you've got something to write with, if you're new today, I always encourage you to write stuff down because we are students of the word of God. We don't just want to listen on Sundays. We want to do as God says for us to do. And we want to apply it to our life. You can do that in small groups this week. You can do it in your personal time as you continue in personal study. But our core truth today is this. It's that God's people submit their worries to God and thereby enjoy his perfect and prevailing peace. God's people submit their worries to God and enjoy his perfect and prevailing peace. In the passage we just read, Philippians 4, 1 through 11, I'm going to outline it pretty simply, all right? Paul's writing to the church at Philippi. He's helping them to know the life that is available in Christ how it is that we can grow, mature, and truly live and find joy in Christ and in our faith. And here, he's giving uh, basically a three-part deal. If, if you've ever been to the doctor uh, with a problem, Paul, this is basically the same thing Paul's doing here. There's three parts, there's an outline really three parts to this, verse 6 through 11 specifically. There's a problem, there's a prescription, and then there's a promise, okay? So if you want to follow the outline today, you can write that down. There's a problem, there's a prescription, and then there's a promise, all right? I'm just giving you that uh, because I know sometimes it helps you to track with a passage and helps you to remember and understand and then later apply it in your own life. By the way, uh, in Serbia, when you go to other countries and you teach or preach, it doesn't help to alliterate. I learned that this week, you know. I had all these wonderful, you know, outlines, and they all start with the same letter, and it gets translated, and everybody's like, that, that makes no sense. So um, I, it's really good to be speaking again in English <laughs> and for there to be all Ps, and actually you understand that as all Ps, and for me not to have to stop every other phrase for a translation. Anyway, personal joy this morning. Uh, but that, <laughs> that's the outline. There's a problem, a prescription, and a promise. Let's start with the problem, okay? 
I want you to write it down. Here's what it is. The problem is worry. It's anxiety. All right? Look back at verse 6. What's it say? Do not be, what? Anxious. Do not worry. Do not be troubled about what? Anything. That's what he's saying. Now, when the Lord says to us, don't do this, we know that that's a problem, right? We know that that's something that needs to be addressed in our hearts. And here he's saying, do not be anxious. Do not worry. Do not be troubled, which means that if you find yourself worrying, if you find yourself anxious, if you find yourself troubled, that's a problem in your heart. Something is going on. It's like a symptom that something is wrong in your heart. It's not what God wants for you, okay? Now, there's a couple of things that I want you to see this morning, and I'm going to have them outlined on the screen for you so you can write them down. And all this was jibbled from notes that I scratched out on a plane, and I literally just put this into PowerPoint this morning, so I hope it works, okay? So if it's spelled wrong, just forgive me, but here we go. Here we go. The first thing I want you to see is the meaning of the word in Greek, all right? The word, do not be anxious, all right? Don't worry. Don't be troubled. That word literally means to be torn apart. It's literally like careful, uh, anxious. It is, the word literally comes like a two-part word. It literally means to strangle, okay? So look at your neighbor, take your hands up like this, all right, and wrap them around your neighbor's neck, all right? Some of you are doing this. That's really weird. (laughs) I didn't mean for that to to actually happen. Um, If you were to strangle something, to choke the life out of something, right? That is the word picture here in Greek. Or if you were to take a, a piece of cloth and to take it and begin to tear at it and then pull it apart, you feel the, the fabric tearing between your hands and the sound, you know, that wasn't very good. Uh, that's what a nine-hour plane ride will do for you. Um, it's, it's that picture. It's to be choked out, to be torn apart, to be pulled in opposite directions, to have an internal struggle, all right? It's the picture of like a like a uh, tug, of, not tug of war. What do you call that? Where you arm wrestling? Thank you. It's like arm wrestling, where you've got competing things, and it's like arm wrestling, and this is this internal struggle. It's a picture of like take your fist and and tighten them up really, really tight. Do this, all right? Tighten them up really tight. It's that picture of tension, okay? Of anxiety. That is what the problem is. Now, you guys, some of you are relating to this. You experience it. You feel that in your spirit. It's almost like choking the life out of you, like it's strangling you. This is what is worry. This is the word that God is using to say, look, this happens in your life. He knows it happens in your life, but it's a problem. Second thing I want you to see this morning about the problem is this, the cause. In Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Do not be 
anxious, don't be worried, don't be troubled about your life. And then he goes on and says, what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. And he goes on and lists some things. The reality is he's saying he realizes that some of the just basic things in life, things that we need, things that we want, provisions that are necessary just to live, these things can be causes of anxiety. They can be causes of trouble. Typically, you can break down the causes of worry in your life to one of three things. Typically, it will be about your circumstances, some situation that you're in, something that's coming up that you don't know how it's going to turn out, uh, some trouble in your workplace, or maybe it's marital strife in your home, um, it, some kind of circumstance that gives you this kind of tearing of the spirit, this kind of contention in your heart, this feeling of strangle. It, circumstances, secondly, people, conflicts with other people, people who don't like you, people who are hard to deal with, bosses that you don't know how to please. I mean, people can be cause of worry. Children that you don't know what's happening with them or that you feel like you can't control. People can be causes of anxiety, causes of worry. And then third, things, right? Money, houses. Anybody ever been stressed by a car? Yeah? Stressed by money, stressed by, you know, stuff that's breaking up or uh, maybe it's something that you want for Christmas and you're just all worried how you're going to get it or blah, 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 blah. All the things that we have in life. It's amazing how these things can sometimes choke the very life out of us when they promise to give us even happier life. Worry, that strangling, that tearing apart, typically comes from circumstances, people, or things. The next thing I want you to see is this. Uh, This happened to me yesterday. (laughs) All right? Uh, We get to, I'm just just giving you a practical example because I feel like you can relate, all right? I feel like you can relate, but I want you to be thinking about the things in your own personal life. I want this to be real to you today. What are the things in your life that give you cause for anxiety or worry? We get from Belgrade yesterday, we fly in from Belgrade into Zurich, Switzerland. We're in Zurich and we arrive. Their flight from Belgrade had been delayed a bit. We haul, I mean, we, listen, if you want to see a group of crazy Americans run through the airport in Zurich, it was awesome. People were looking at us and laughing. It was like, way crazy Americans. So we are hauling to the gate. We get there just like one or two minutes before the flight's supposed to leave. And literally, the gate is pulling away from the plane. We're like, stop it! You know? And they didn't stop it. And we are watching, literally... The plane sitting right there starts to back up the plane we're supposed to be on for Atlanta, Georgia. Immediately, I start going, uh, uh, you know, first time this has ever happened to me on a mission trip. I don't know what's going to happen. When's the next flight? Well, it gets worse. Suddenly, we say, when's the next flight out of here? And she's like that. You know, they, what do they do on the computer when they type like that? What are they doing? I have no idea what they're typing. Click, 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 you know, five minutes of clicks. 
And I'm like, I could do that with three buttons on my app. You know, I want to hand her my iPhone and say, try this. Anyway, I'm sorry, you know, we, every flight to, to America, to Paris, to Amsterdam, to Brussels, every flight is completely full until tomorrow. And I'm sitting there going, oh, I'm supposed to preach tomorrow. I don't even know how to call home right now. What am I, you know, and these, the tearing, the tearing apart, right? The, the anxiety, the feeling of, of strangle begins to, it begins to happen. And I'm going, oh no, like what's going to happen? And, you know, one thing leads to another. Finally, one seat opened up, one seat. We're all sitting there like pulling straws, trying to figure out who's going to get back. And I got nominated because they they said that I was more useful to the church than the rest of them. They're going to be back in just a few hours. I don't know if I agreed with that, but I went ahead and took the seat. And uh, then we get down to the baggage claim. They can't find the bags anywhere. I mean, nowhere. They look, oh, we don't even know if the bags came from Serbia. You know, and I'm sitting there going, oh, what am I going to wear tomorrow? This is going to be really awkward. And um, this happens, though. And all the while... The stress is mounting up and this, just the anxiety and, you know, just suddenly feeling like, I don't know, I, I, I can't control this. And I want this. It's circumstance, it's people, the lady of the thing driving me nutso. And it's a thing, you know, just a plane and a ticket, but it's causing worry and anxiety. What is it in your life? And this happens, right? It happens. Next thing I want you to see is this. The effects of this are widespread. They're emotional. They're physical. They're mental. Um, it could be waiting on an answer for a residency match. It could be, um, you know, worrying about somebody that you love and you're concerned about. It could be looking for the outcome of a test, but it's a personal struggle and it affects us. What happens in your heart truly does affect your body. Some of you have experienced headaches. You experience knots in your stomach, ulcers, sores, lack of sleep, restlessness. Listen, we are holistic people, and what happens in our hearts affects us. Where our mind goes, the things that trouble us affects everything about us. The Lord says, this is a problem. The next thing I want you to see is this. Is that ultimately, worry is a sin. When the Lord says, do not do something, and we do it, it is disobedience, and therefore sin. Now, I know... What my first reaction could be, and perhaps your first reaction could be, is, well, you know, how is that a sin? You know, where everybody worries. It's just part of life. Well, there's a difference in being concerned for something and being worried about it. To care about wanting to have food for your family and then to be in a condition where you're torn apart by it, where you're anxious over it, where it's strangling the life out of you. Those are different things. What the Lord is saying here in verse 6 is, do not be anxious about anything. That means that no matter what it is in your life, whether small or big, if it leads to a place of worry, where it begins to choke life out of you, tear apart your spirit, where you begin to be so troubled and concerned over it, that is not just a problem, it is a sin. It's not what God wants for you. 
Therefore, he says, don't do it. He has something better for you. With every every time you see the symptom of worry, you need to recognize that that is a symptom of a deeper issue going on in your heart that God wants to give you freedom from. He wants to give you joy in. He wants to move you to a place of right heart before him. Worry. First, I want you to see that it's a problem. Second thing I want you to see from this passage is this, that there is a prescription, okay? So just as any good doctor would do, you know, Jesus came, said he came to, like a doctor to heal the sick. And like any good doctor, the Lord Jesus, when he realizes a problem in us and says, hey, here's what's going on, he also wants to help you to move out of that problem. He wants to give you a prescription. And we see in the second half of verse 6 and continuing through verse 11, the prescription for worry. Prescription for worry. And essentially, I want to say, I'm gonna, we're going to walk through this, but I want to say, essentially, what he's going to point us to is we need faith. We need hearts that believe God and are submitted to God and everything. Worry is an inside job, okay? Worry is an inside job. It happens in our hearts. It speaks about where we are deep down in our relationship with God. If worry bubbles up on the surface, it's showing that there's a problem deep down at the root. And essentially, the prescription is we need to believe the Lord and to submit ourselves to him. But let me walk through the passage with you and show you what the Lord says. Second half of verse six. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. The prescription is three parts, all right? First, it's right praying. Second, it's right thinking. And third, it's right living. All right? It's pretty simple. I'm just trying to help you outline the text here. He says, first, worry is a problem. Understand that it speaks about your heart and it's a sin. You're in a wrong place. So what does the Lord want you to do? He wants you to learn to pray right. He wants you to learn to think rightly. And he wants you to learn to live rightly. I have said these in another way here uh, that you can write down. But here first we see we need to submit our worries to God. Submit our worries to God. If you go back to verse 6, I want you to look at it in your text. He gives an antithesis of worry. 
he says, okay, do not be anxious. But then there's this little word, but, all right? So what he's saying is what I'm about to say is in contrast to you sitting around worrying and growing knots and ulcers and being torn apart and strangled by worry. That's one thing that you could do. But the antithesis of that, the godly alternative to that is this. But in everything, what does he say? By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So what he's saying is, what you need to do instead of worry is to submit your worries, submit your request, submit your anxieties, your concerns, whatever causes you trouble on this, this hand, take that and submit it to God. Now, it's interesting that Paul uses three different words here in Greek to convey what it means to submit your request to God. And it's important that you write these down and understand them because he uses three different words. He could have just said, hey, yo, yo you know, submit your request to God. You know, yo, come on. But instead, I don't think Paul used the word yo, but it would be awesome if he did. Instead, he uses, he chooses, all right, by the Spirit's leading to give us three different words to describe how it is that we are to submit our request to God. The first word is what? See, turn to your neighbor real quick. See if you can identify the three words. Right there at the end of verse 6. Oh, they're on the screen. You guys are cheating. All right. Moving on. The three words are prayer, <laughs> supplication, and thanksgiving. All right? So I want you to write those three words down. Prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving. Prayer refers to the general time that we spend alone with God. There's an assumption in Scripture. Jesus encourages us again and again that we need to pray. There's an assumption that you do spend time every day in prayer. Prayer is not just, um, you know, living. No, prayer is an intentional time that is set aside for one purpose, and that purpose is communion with the Lord. It's a time that is given, that is dedicated, that is set aside for this one thing, and that is to spend time with God. It involves adoration, of course. It involves confession, of course. It involves um, worship, of course. It's taking time to be with God and to allow him to be with you. It's not just about stating your needs, but it's enjoying his presence. Prayer is the most general word that's used in scripture to just describe that sweet personal fellowship with God that believers seek and enjoy on a daily basis. Paul says, if you want to know how to submit your request to God, the first thing you need to make sure of is that you're spending time every day with God in prayer. That every day you've got time to be with him and to allow him to be with you. That you're worshiping him, that you're thanking him, that you're loving him and you're thinking about his love for you that you're fellowshipping with him. And I don't know if this is real in your life. I don't know if you have time with God outside of Sundays, but I'm telling you, if you don't do this, you're missing out on one of the greatest blessings of the Christian life. One of the greatest joys that was purchased to us by the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 4 says he has 
opened the way now that we can draw near to God with full assurance and with faith, that with confidence we can receive help and hope and mercy in our time of need because of Christ and his blood shed for you. The doorway has been opened for you to spend time with God. You can enjoy his presence. You don't have to stand at a distance. No, you can draw near through the blood of Jesus and enjoy his fellowship. We see that Daniel did this in the first chapters of Daniel. When he was in a place of great trouble and anxiety, things were out of his control. Every day he would go into a small room. He would open the window and he would pray. And it made all the difference. If you're not a praying person, if you don't spend time with God on a daily basis, you cannot expect to conquer worry in your life. You cannot expect to have the peace of God, which later we're going to talk about. Time with God is essential. The second word he uses is in prayer, he says. But then he says what? And supplication. Supplication. This word literally means Naming your request before the Lord. Letting your request be known to God. It's the idea of correctly sharing all of your needs. Letting God know of all your problems. Now, I listed several scriptures here because I want you to know that there are some ways that God has said that we should go to him and present our requests with him. And you can write these down and look them up later. But essentially... He says, we don't have to do it with many words. God knows our needs, but we are to go to him. And we are to say, God, like yesterday, our flights just got canceled. I'm starting to get anxious about this, but God, this is a need that I have. And I know that you know this need before me. And I'm just going to give it to you right now. Naming, naming your request before the Lord, but with simplicity. He says, we should also do it with sincerity. We should also do it with faith, trusting him that he can take care of our needs. We should also do it with persistence and with passion. In Luke chapter 18, there's a parable of the persistent widow. Jesus told this parable to teach his disciples how to pray. The parable is all about a lady who had requests and she was so desirous to see her request answered, knowing that the judge was the only one that could do anything about it, that she went to him day after day, night after night. And the parable says that because of her persistence, her requests were answered. We should let our requests be known to God. This should happen on a daily basis. You should have time where not only you spend time with God and fellowship with him, but secondly, time where you say, God, here are the things that are before me today. Here are the things that could cause me concern. Here are the things that I'm a little anxious about. God, I'm naming them one by one. And Lord, I need your help with this. God, I I need you in this situation. Lord, I can't do it. I know that if I take control of it, I'm gonna sit around and worry about it. It's gonna choke the life out of me. So God, I'm gonna submit this to you. I'm gonna give it over. Take your hands back like this, squeeze them tight, tight. Come on, and now release them. It's that, it's that act of releasing. Instead of controlling, releasing. Let it be known to God. With supplication, let your request be known to God. The third word that he uses here is not just prayer, not just supplication, but what? Thanksgiving. He says, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. 
Now there's a difference, I want to remind you, there's a difference in being thankful and in giving thanks. A lot of you would say, oh, I'm thankful. I'm so thankful for God. Yeah, I've got that one down. But no, that's not the word here. It says, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. With thanksgiving literally means take time to give thanks. Don't just be thankful. List out the things that you're thankful for. Give thanks. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20 says that we should give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Practice the act of giving thanks, not just sometimes, but always in everything. Daily, we need to give thanks. So, the first thing we do in the prescription is we submit our worries to God. How do we do it? We do it with prayer, fellowship with God daily. We do it with supplication, letting all of our requests, turning them over, releasing them to God, saying, God, take this for me. And we also do it with thanksgiving, thanking God one by one by one for the things that he has done. Luke chapter 17, verse 11 through, 11 through 19 says that God wants to be thanked. It's a parable, I mean, it's the story of the lepers and only one of them returned to give thanks and that one was rewarded fully. We should give thanks. An interesting thing here in verse six is it says that we should do this in everything. I need you to write that down, in everything. This is big things and this is little things. And I'm telling you in counseling experience, a lot of times by the time that people are so worked up, right? They've got knots in their stomach, ulcers in the mouth, losing sleep at night. They are so worked up. A lot of times the reason that it gets to that point is because when the, when the feelings started at the very beginning, they didn't submit them to God. When they were a small thing, they didn't submit them. They didn't pray. They didn't uh, go with supplication and thanksgiving to the Lord, but rather tried to keep it to themselves thinking, oh, I can handle this. I can do this. It's going to be fine. But over time, those small things begin to pile up and they begin to grow and they begin to grow and grow to the point that they're so overwhelming that it causes great distress and trouble in our life. The key to realizing peace in your life is in everything, big and little, everything that you face, take it before God. That's what, not what Barrett says, that's what scripture says. In everything, in everything, small, medium, big, take your request before the Lord. Um, yesterday in the airport, I'll just tell you how this worked out for me. I said, I looked at our team and I said, well, guys, I'm preaching on Philippians 4 tomorrow. <laughs> and I said, it's all about anxiety. And I said, let's just obey the Lord. I mean, this is literally what I said. Let's just do what it says. It says, pray. It says, with supplication. It says, with thanksgiving. You know what we did there in the Zurich airport? We got in a circle, and this group of crazy six Americans just prayed. We sang songs to the Lord right in the middle of the airport, literally. We sang, uh, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. You know that song? Just sang it, you know? Uh, it probably looked goofy. We began to praise God and to thank him for who he is and what he'd done. One by one, we began to thank God that we had made it safely to Zurich. 
and that for the week that we had just had, that the fact that we were even in Zurich meant that we had gotten to be a part of what God is doing in other parts of the world. And we thanked God for that. We praised God for all the lives that we saw changed. And we thanked God for the gift of airplanes and the fact that we would get home eventually, right? And then we said, God, we can't do this. You know, Barrett needs to get home to preach. And we all need to get home to see our families. Lord, we don't know what to do. We have no idea where our bags are, but Lord, we're not gonna worry about this. We're gonna trust you with us. And you might think, well, that's silly. You know, pray for your bags to show up at the baggage terminal. It's not silly. He says, pray about everything. Pray, give thanks, spend time with him. And I'm telling you, it made all the difference. You know, those bags showed up about 15 minutes after we had that. And I thought, praise God. <laughs> Literally, all of us were like dancing and all of us felt like God had answered our prayer. And I believe he had. That's how it works out. Number two, not only do you set your mind, I mean, excuse me, not only do you submit your worries to God, but number two, you set your mind on the word and on the things of God. You set your mind on the word and on the things of God. The reality is what God knows is that your thoughts are powerful and your thoughts sometimes lead to wrong feeling, sometimes lead to wrong praying, sometimes lead to wrong living. Your thought life can give you anxiety. It can be the birthplace of your trouble. What you think about is important. Your thoughts are powerful. And that's why in verse eight, Paul continues and says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think, all right? Let's just say that with me. Think, all right? Look at your neighbor and say, think. Come on. Okay. Some of you guys, yeah, that's okay. You're, you're all right. Think about these things. Think about these things. It's the idea of setting your mind intentionally toward something. It's the idea of literally choosing. You're making a choice that you're not going to think about this, but you are going to think about this. You are choosing to intentionally think. Think about the things that God is saying here to think about. Isaiah chapter 26, verse three. I think I've listed it there. It should be verse three, I think. I'm sorry for the mistype. But it says, you will keep in perfect peace those whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. It's a promise of God that says, those whose mind is stayed upon the Lord is set on God to think on him and his things and his word. It says that the Lord will keep his mind in perfect peace because he trusts in the Lord. What you think about matters. Now he lists several things that we should think about. He says, whatever is true, uh, sociologists and psychologists, people who are smarter than me and above my pay grade, all right, say that only 8%, only 8%, of the things that cause anxiety and worry in people's life are actually factually based. Only 8% of the presenting problem of anxiety are actually based on truth. The others are imaginary, the other 92%. It's stuff that hasn't happened yet, it's stuff that has never happened, or it's stuff that's outside of your control. Only 8% of what causes you worry, they say, 
is actually true. God says, think, intentionally set your mind on this, what is actually true. We know from John chapter 17 that the Holy Spirit controls us with truth. Ephesians chapter 6 says that believers should put on a belt of truth. If you don't wear a belt, your pants fall down. It's kind of embarrassing, right? You don't want to be caught without a belt. Wear a belt, all right? In scripture, our belt, what keeps our pants up, what keeps us moving along is the belt of what? Truth. We also know that the enemy is a liar and tries to deceive us by filling our minds with things that are not true. Listen, this is a war inside of your mind and you have to fight for what is true. Whatever is true, set your mind on that. And the primary thing is we know that God's word is true. He says, whatever is honorable, which means don't focus on what is dishonorable. Don't focus on what is not respectable. Don't focus on what is not pleasing, on what is not good. Some of us watch TV way too much. And things, and we, we, and I'm I'm not being critical. I watch TV, okay? So don't hear a heart of criticism. But the reality is, if you fill your mind with things that are not honoring to the Lord, if you fill your mind with songs or with uh, movies or TV shows that are just just worldly and of the enemy and, and people that are not, they don't, they're not following the Lord and the way they act, the way they respond. Listen, you'll begin to pattern your life after that. You'll begin, that will infiltrate into your mind such that it causes things that the Lord doesn't want in you. He says, with your mind, think about things that are honorable, things that are worthy of respect and commendation. He says, whatever is just, whatever is pure, again, a call to stay away from that which is impure, a call to purity of life. Let me tell you, if you're walking in sin, if your mind is continually set on things that are not pure, you will not experience the peace of God. Sin and peace do not live in the same house, all right? If you are thinking about impurities, if there are sins in your thought life that are impure, It's gonna be hard to realize the perfect peace that God wants to give you. He says, you gotta train your mind, set your mind on that which is pure, that which is just. He goes on and says, that which is lovely, which is whatever is beautiful and attractive, that which is commendable, whatever is worth talking about, whatever is not baseless. He goes on and says, if there's anything excellent, such that anything that's worthy of your mind as a redeemed believer in Christ, if it's not worthy of your mind, if it's not worthy of the mind of Christ, have nothing to do with that. What is excellent should fill our mind. And he says, if there's anything worthy of praise, essentially what he's saying is, don't think about things that you wouldn't recommend other people to think about. If it's not commendable, don't think about it. Think about things that are commendable to others. Those are the things that you should think about. Set your mind. Place your mind intentionally 
on the Lord. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse five says that we should bring every thought captive to be obedient to the will of Christ. The picture is you should take your mind captive. It's like trapping an insect in your house. I love that. It, it makes me feel really manly. It's one of the few things that I can do that my wife can't do, all right? And it's a great joy to trap insects because it makes me feel like I'm providing for her, right? So I love taking roaches captive, all right? Carry little roaches captive, all right? Dirty thing, take it captive and put it toward another purpose, in this case, death, all right? (laughs) Scripture says we should take our minds captive, all right? Take your mind captive, trap it, and set it toward the things of the Lord. Now, I want to encourage you most of all here to realize the truth of Psalm 119, verse 165. And that is this, great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. How do you set your mind on the things of the Lord? Romans chapter 12 says we can renew our mind. And we do this by going to the word of God on a daily basis. The word of God is powerful and effective to change us, specifically to change the way that we think. If you're not spending time in the word of God on a daily basis, you cannot expect to find victory over worry and anxiety in your life. Because the word of God is what is powerful and effective. It is the sword that he gives us to fight with. It is the very means by which God works to renew our minds. Essentially, you could boil this list down to say this. Think about scripture. Which is why it's so important on a daily basis to meditate on the word of God, to spend time in the word of God, and to memorize it. Put stuff in your pantry so when it's time to cook, you've got something to cook with. Submit your worries to God. Secondly, set your mind on God. And third and finally, the prescription that God gives us is this, to seek to live according to God's way. If you look at verse 11, he says, whatever you have learned and received, whatever you've heard and seen, practice these things. There's two basic phrases there, learn and received heard and seen as he's saying not only learn it but live it not only know it but walk in it okay you you see what he's saying and then he says practice it so essentially what he's saying is this can't be done in the classroom all right this is not going to be done in the classroom guys you're not going to conquer worry by studying textbooks you're going to conquer worry by walking into the things that God has said he's prepared for you to walk into. You're gonna conquer it by actually praying. This is something you actually have to do. By actually going to God and making your request known. By actually saying, thank you God for this, 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 and this. By actually taking your mind and setting it upon the word of God. You have to practice these things. It's not enough for an athlete who's training for a marathon to read textbooks about how to run. They have to go out day after day and train themselves. That's why Paul says we should train ourselves for godliness. Practice these things. Isaiah 32 verse 17 says, the effect of righteousness will be peace 
the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. It involves right living. You have to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. So we have the problem, worry. We have the prescription, submitting requests to God, setting our minds on the things of God and seeking to live according to his way, right praying, right thinking, right living. And now comes the wonderful conclusion to this, and that is the promise of God. Verse 7 says this, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And in verse 9, it says, If you practice these things, the God of peace will be with you. The wonderful promise of God is his peace. Now, I want to make a distinction here between peace with God and the peace of God. The Bible speaks of peace with God, and the Bible also speaks of peace of God. You cannot have peace of God if you don't have peace with God. The peace with God is the kind of peace that's described in Isaiah chapter 53, which says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. To have peace with God, we have to have a relationship with the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is in his body that he has brought us peace by the blood of the cross. That we're not enemies of God anymore, but we are right with him. Not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done. This gift of reconciliation with God and peace with God through faith is available to all who believe. That is peace with God when we accept the perfect work of Christ on our behalf and give our life to him. But here is not peace with God. This is written to believers who already have peace with God. And here it says the peace of God. What then is the peace of God? Well... The peace of God is the restful heart of God. The quiet and still, calm heart of God. God never worries. He's never anxious. All right? He is constantly at rest. And God says that he can give his heart of peace to you. In fact, it's one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Love, joy, peace. Peace. This heart can be made available to you. Now in verse 7, we see how it comes. It says, the peace of God which surpasses understanding. Now this is important to think about because this is not something that you manufacture within yourself. You can't go to a secular psychologist and obtain this peace. You can't follow a five-step plan and expect to give this to yourself. It surpasses understanding because it's a supernatural gift of the Holy Spirit of God, which is peace. John chapter 14 said this peace would be given by him through the Holy Spirit. It is a gift of God that surpasses what you can think about and what you could do. 
I'm telling you, there are so many times in my life where, and Ashley gave a testimony this morning even, there are times in life where people look at you and they say, you should be torn up, you should be devastated, you should be out of control, worried. How are you handling this? And all I can say is that the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, is guarding my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. There is a supernatural peace that is available to those who trust the Lord. This is the wonderful promise of God. It says the peace of God will do this. It's a promise. And it says it does this by this, by guarding your heart and your mind. The peace of God is like a soldier that stands at the door to protect your heart and to protect your mind. Like a good parent who doesn't want bad things for their children, protecting your heart, protecting your mind. This is the peace of God, the promise of God. And it also comes in his presence. If you look at the contrast between the verses 7 and 9, it says the peace of God will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 9, it says, and the God of peace will be with you. How does the peace of God come? It comes by knowing the God of peace. Jehovah Shalom, revealed in Judges 7 as the Lord, our peace. Peace is found in his presence. This is the promise of God. Worry. Anxiety, troubles, and concerns. We have it in life. You have it. Sometimes it's little. Sometimes it's big. It's a problem. It tears us apart. It strangles life. We should confess it for what it is. We should take God's prescription to submit our hearts before him, our worries before him, to set our mind on him, to meditate on his word, to spend time in his presence and to live according to the things that he has asked us to walk into and the promises that his peace and his presence will guard your heart and your mind in Christ. I pray today that you're living in his peace. This is the great, great gift of God for those who choose to believe. We're gonna have a time this morning as we close of personal reflection and meditation and then communion. What I ask of you today is to spend time with God right now. You can just close your eyes. Maybe you wanna write. Maybe you you wanna move. In your way, I want you to spend time with God. You know, before we take communion, the scripture says it's important to examine our hearts. Repentance is an important part of coming to the table that we come with surrendered hearts, with hearts that have laid everything down, confessing sin, agreeing with God about the things that are wrong in our own heart and life. I believe that many of you today have anxieties and worries, things that you've held onto and you've clenched your fist around and God is calling you today not to have that. He's saying, look, that's not where I want you to be. I want you to have my peace. I just wanna invite you today to submit your worries to the Lord to set your mind on him, to say, Lord, I wanna walk in the things that you have shown for me. And God, I wanna receive the promise of your peace and of your presence. You do that today before you come to the table. If there are other things that you need to make right in your life or with other people, do that today before you come to the table. We're gonna spend time now on some meditation. 
You'll hear me call you again to the table in just a minute. But right now, confess your sin. Remember the wonderful provision of the Lord Jesus Christ who gave his body and his blood so that you might have peace with God and the peace of God. Receive what is rightfully yours by faith and 